Whether you're having a not moving off the couch while you watch the game kind of day, or a no time between conference calls kind of day, it can still be a delicious Dunkin' kind of day. And with Dunkin' now available on DoorDash, it's easier than ever to get your faves brought right to your door. So if you're looking for coffees, donuts, and breakfast sandwiches in the morning, craving some afternoon snack and bacon, or in need of Dunkin' refreshers for a PM pick-me-up, we've got you covered. Order now and get your faves brought to your door through Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash. Price and participation may vary. Exclusions apply. America runs on Dunkin'. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Welcome to the Stephen Shields Radio Show. Today I'm here with a guest speaker who I've done volunteer work with at the St. Vincent de Paul Society. His name's Patrick. How are you? How are you, Stephen? I'm well. <laughs> it's good to hear from you. You know, you've travelled the world and how, how many countries have you been travelling? I'm not, I'm not sure. Somewhere between 60 and 80. 60 and 80 countries. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> Some of them, some of them, not very long. Mm. And uh, was uh, travelling uh, more easier back in the old days than it is now? <laughs> well, a lot easier than it is right now. And back, I started travelling at a time when, because of Australian politics, and I'm not talking politics, mm. uh, the Australian dollar was stronger. Yeah. Which meant that. It was actually quite cheap mm, mm, to, to to buy overseas money. Mm. It's better. It was actually quite cheap to travel using the Australian dollar. As the years wore on, it got more and more expensive, and eventually, I gave up. Yeah, I mean, uh, traveling is very, very expensive. I mean, even traveling Australia. I mean, I went to the outback of the Northern Territory, territory, and it's very expensive up there. Well, the the, point, the thing is that when you're traveling. Mm. Uh, what you are often doing as a tourist, mm. and Australia does this quite openly, a lot of other countries do it, is you are supporting the local economy. Yep. You are actually helping the, lo the local people to live. Mm -hmm. So you are supporting the local economy. And uh, some places, uh, things are more expensive mm. because of where they are. Now, the Northern Territory is somewhat more expensive because of the sheer distance. Yeah. Away from away from where the things are made. Mm. So you know, if you if you had a couple of thousand kilometres of travelling from manufacture over and above the manufacturing costs, all of a sudden it is more expensive. Well, yeah. When I stayed up, I I was in a hostel in um, yeah. uh, Mitchell Street, Darwin, and and beer was more expensive up there. Yep. No, they make it up there, of course, but nevertheless. Uh, yeah. They drink more of it too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I went up there in the wet season in February, but Coles was pretty much similar similar to what you'd pay in Sydney and Liquor well, Land. Yes, in, in the big cities, yeah, they do tend to try to equalise. But other places, I said, when you go around the world, you find incredible ranges in prices. Mm. Uh, but so you used to kind of, once upon a time, and I never actually did it. They used to use a thing called the McDonald's 
index mm. is the price of a hamburger. <laughs> 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 I, 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 even, even I'm not a heavy drinker. Very often to me, a, uh, the price of a beer was a pretty good indicator of you know how expensive a place was to live in. Mm. You know, and, and, and of course, one of the problems when you're buy, when you're travelling and buying things is that sometimes the prices sound shocking. Mm. Um, a bottle of beer in Zaire, if I remember correctly, <laughs> cost me a million Zaire. Wow, what's that Australian? That's about a dollar. A dollar? Yeah. Because yeah. it's not taxed in... Um... No, no, no. So, no, nothing to do with the tax, just to do with the fact that that country had had a rather a poor government and the, and, the, and the value of the money was just dropping rapidly. Well, yeah. I mean... Um... My experience with travelling too, I was in uh, Lynchfield National Park. Ten bucks just for a bottle of water. Uh, well, that's because you're captive. Yeah. A lot of places... see the same thing if you go to a sporting event. Mm, I know. A bottle of water inside the gates, half as so much as it gets a bottle of water outside the gates. Yeah, but it's, I, I think, well, isn't that like a rip-off? Yes, but it's, it's, it, is, it is a rip-off. Yeah. But as I said, you're, you're a captive audience. Yeah. You are, you are there. They are there. You need it. They have it. Mm, correct. Yeah, so anyway, that, that's, so that's so the cost of travel. But in terms otherwise, the actual physical traveling was probably much of a muchness because I started traveling mm. seriously just after... A few after the, the jumbos came in. The 747. The 747 jet came in, and that meant that all of a sudden, mm. a lot of people could fly at a reasonable price. Before that, it was a very, very expensive to fly anywhere. Yeah, I heard. I, I heard people used to dress up in fancy costumes I, I, on the 747. Yes, I, I, I mean, if you were flying, uh, if you were flying first class, you would put, mm. you almost wear corn. You almost wear your... your a tuxedo. But so at that stage, travelling became quite a bit easier in terms of getting to places. And then the way I actually did travel, I always travelled in an organised way. Mm. So I never, so apart from about six months bumming around Europe, mm. the rest of my travelling was it was kind of with with organised groups, most of, and that meant that. Oh, and of course, six weeks coming around New Zealand, that doesn't count. That was too, that was a long time ago. Mm. And what it meant was that um, a lot of the worrying about what we were going to do next, where I was going to spend the night and things, mm. was gone. And I was actually just sit back, I was actually just kind of sit back and enjoy enjoy the ride. Yeah, like a tour you went on. Yeah, like, yeah kind of like tours. You know, uh, I went on, um, uh, I've been on a Kentucky tour in Top Tech, but I find yeah. they're very full on and you don't sleep properly because you always, you got to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, hung over, you know. Well, that's because you're <laughs> on a Kentucky or a Top Tech. <laughs> young people tours where they have lots of beer. <laughs> I've travelled with the grown-up groups. <laughs> Now, but that's no, um. No, 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 not quite. But so um, we, we were very rarely hungover because so we knew. <laughs> I mean, if, if if you were facing as I was, uh, 
the better part of 20 weeks mm. travelling like that on, on something that made a top deck look comfortable. This is on the back of a truck. Mm. You knew you were going to get up next morning, so you <laughs> behave yourself more. <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, each to their own. I mean, that's just what I've found. I mean, I did a top deck in New Zealand, top deck to Northern Territory, Kentucky yes. to America, but um, you're always on the go, and you just, you, 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 I find that you just get so tired, and you're just oh, yes, exhausted. Certainly, um, a fairly constant forward movement involved. Yes, yeah. you can get tired, and I did a couple of times, but uh, I suppose I kind of into it mm. because uh, I tend to do ones that were long like 30 day trips oh no no no, no like measured in in weeks weeks uh, started with Cat, my first big one was Kathmandu to London shit that's that that's a long way weeks. that was three months yeah then nine weeks in Africa and then about 20 weeks in Africa yeah I did a few other shorter ones as well and actually I prefer the longer ones yeah, I mean, look, uh, travelling, I think, Patrick's a personal thing. i found I like going on cruises more. I cruise, you know, the boat, you've got everything. you got you got your own room, you got the nightclub, you know, casino, well, if, you, if you're a gambler. I've never actually tried serious cruising, but I can understand the, uh, I can understand the attraction. Mm. Uh, each to their own. I mean, I, I like the, you know, privacy of my own room. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I had the privacy of my own tent. Mm. That's pretty Which good. Put up, <laughs> <laughs> at least you got a wash. At least you got a washing machine on the boat that you could wash your clothes oh, all the yes. all the time. You know. Uh, we, we had we had blocks to be against. Yeah, I mean, but see, the problem with Europe, uh, there are some hotels that don't even have washing machines. Uh, well, in, in Europe, yeah, most of the hotels, if you look, have clotheslines in the bathroom. You serious? And you'd, um, you'd hop in the shower and you'd walk on your clothes. <laughs> and you'd just that's put soap on it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, that's, I think I remember doing that in Cairo. Were your clothes clean? I'm spending, spending three weeks in what was actually the desert. Yeah. And, and the clothes were, and my clothes were all bright red. Mm. I started off in nice normal colours, they all ended up the same colour of red. <laughs> and you just hopped, you just went into the got into the hotel and... Got on the floor and had a shower at the same time. Squish, 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 squish. And, uh, yeah. They came out. They washed perfectly. Oh, you just put soap on the clothes or washing yeah. detergent? Yes. I, I actually, again, being, a, being an organised kind of person, I actually had a, a port. I actually had little tubes of washing, of, of washing detergent. Yeah. And, it just, and everything came out clean. Yeah, but it comes out clean. I tried this in Las Vegas in a hotel. I washed my yeah. clothes in the bathroom, but they're just... Weren't dry properly. Need the sun. Oh, you, you have trouble drying them. Yes. Uh, I tried to get the hair dryer, Patrick, and that didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean you do, you do, you do have to be aware that you, that's part of the trick is to make sure you have the kind of clothes that can dry. Yeah, and um, packing according to the conditions yeah. as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, but um, sixty countries is a lot to have on your passport. In that yep. time. I mean, you've even been to Russia. Uh, well, it was the Soviet Union. Yeah, and that's a hard country that... to get in because of the whole visa process. Well, at that stage, uh, 
problem was I arrived in London hmm. after having spent, you know, having driven over from Kathmandu, the big long overland track that hmm. used to be the kind of thing that was done. And um, I arrived in a hostel in London. I was staying in a hostel in London, and there was this advertisement for a hmm. trip to the uh, Soviet Union and Finland and a place. And I said, That looks fun. <laughs> so I paid up, paid, paid, up, paid up the money, and uh, they, because it was an organised trip, mm. they organised the visa. Because it was an organised trip, the visas went crunk, crunk, crunk. Wow. Of course, equally, mm. because of an organised trip, once we crossed into those eastern countries, uh, actually, East Berlin, West Berlin was all right. Yeah, we don't want to write East Berlin, but we tended to have a, a travelling tour, local tour guide with us to keep an eye on us to make sure we only went to the right places. Mm, mm, mm. So they did kind of keep an eye on us. Not a heavy eye. I mean, in Moscow, we were fairly free to wander around. Yep. Fairly free. Uh, but generally, and I think about it, I wander around Prague. Though, but there was a tendency, you know, that because you, if you're wandering around, you can't go very far anyway. But we were on a pretty kind of clear instructions about, you know, don't go into those kind of places and yeah. don't and don't be set, don't photograph military installations and things if you want to if you want to leave the country. Yeah, the problem is, um, well, I've heard Russia, uh, do they have police? They're very strict and they they'll deport you straight away. Uh, that had been known to happen to people, yes. You know, they're they're yeah. the type of authorities, people, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. tourists. Yeah, right. I talked to 40 years ago now, so it slight, was slightly different. Mm. In fact, nearly 50 years ago now, 45 years ago, so it was slightly different, but a similar idea, very authoritarian. Mm. And uh, there were people who were refused entry at the border, not, not, not of my group, but people, people there were, was in fact apparently one bus mm. uh, that was simply towed to the border and pushed over because it had broken down in Russia. They said, mm. your visa is so just push the bus over the border. You're kidding. They did that. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Yes. Um, that's one of the reasons why I kind of, again, made sure that when I was travelling, I was going with the slightly classier, the slightly more expensive companies, the companies that looked like they really knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, look, I feel the problem with Russia is they're, too, they're very, very strict. Um they can deny you a visa even if you don't have a criminal record. Oh, any country can do that. Are you serious? Oh, yes. Um, it's harder. Up until about... Oh, good heavens. The mid-70s, I can't remember the exact date. Mm. There was a, an Australian law that said that to gain Australia, at the border, they can give you a dictation test. They can ask you to write down any European language. Quite seriously. And they certainly, there are a couple of cases where there were people they didn't want to let in. Mm. In one chapter, they said, okay, uh, we'll give you the test. And what we'll do is we'll give it to you in Irish. Mm-hmm. Irish Gaelic, that is. And this fellow who was a Finn... Mm. Was expected to get into Australia, you had to be able to transcribe accurately Irish Gaelic language he'd never heard before in his life. Mm. So, certainly, they could keep you out for any reason they wanted to. If they, if they wanted to keep you out, they could. Every country in the world's like that. You try getting an American visa. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had it. I, I, uh, I had an American visa. I got yeah. an Esther visa. 
But I found, you know, the TSA, they're just assholes, mate. Well, some are, yeah, but anyway. You know, and I, I yeah. went through customs and he was like, oh, I don't think you've got enough money to stay. I said, look, I'm on a Kentucky tour. It's just a rude, arrogant prick, mate. Yeah, well, the, 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 uh, the people on the borders can be a little bit... Some can be very good, some can be absolute pains and evil. It makes it very hard to sit down. Why is that? Why, why can't they get away with that? That's not right. Um, it's power. They have the authority. Yeah. And most countries in the world are, are rather precious about their borders. Mm. And, you know, uh, again... I'm going to slightly touch on politics. Don't think we've had a policy, one of our prime ministers saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, we will decide who, will let, who we will let into Australia and under what circumstances. Mm. True. So letting people into the country is always something that is um, special because people regard themselves as being special. Well, that's it. I mean... Um, uh... The problem with the Ameri- uh, Yanks or the Americans is they're, they're, they're quite paranoid with who they let in. I mean... Well, again, as I said, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not going to... This, this board gets busy and talks policy if we were going to talk, but yes, yeah, certainly yeah. Uh, it is a country that has always regarded itself as being special. Mm. Extra special. And uh, one of the legitimate concerns and the one about the money is a legitimate concern is that if you don't have enough money to live on when you're in the country Mm -hmm. then who's going to feed you Mm. and civilized countries and america is basically civilized Mm. would find themselves feeding you because um I wanted to ask this question to an experienced traveller. If yeah. you went travelling uh, to overseas and you had no money or no place to stay, what what would happen to you? Um, Will they let you in or turn you back? When you arrive at the border... Yeah. If you arrive at the border, there's every chance that they would... Uh, refuse entry. If you, if you had no money, they would refuse entry. Mm-hmm. And you then end up on the plane, the next plane home. Mm-hmm. Who, would ha- came from. who would have to pay for the airfare getting you back home? Uh, you would eventually. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. They'd eventually bill you. Yep. One way or another. Because that... Well, what, would happen, what would happen was... Yep. If you don't, want to, if, if you don't try to go back into that same country, they'll, they'll never catch up with you. Yep. Because um, you see a few cases on border security where people have met an online yeah. partner and they only come in with $8 in their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know. what, actually, that's what I'm thinking of also, those same shows. You find that they ended up as being sent back home, essentially. You know, because when I went to America, I was on a very, very tight budget. Uh, for two yeah. weeks, I had $800. Yeah. And I was on a Kentucky tour, and um, look, I spent it wisely. I was a, I was stingy actually, but yeah, I kind of thought, should I get take more money, or what? What is your advice with uh, budgeting for traveling? Um, be stingy, yeah. Yep. Make sure, however, you got some access to extra funds. Yep. Uh, one way or another. See, nowadays it's quite easy. 
you can carry a, you can carry your ordinary strip, your ordinary plastic. Mm. I used my Visa card, no, my Mastercard, mm. in the middle of the African jungle, mm-hmm. literally. Wow! I was actually able to. I was actually on the Booker balloon trip in a camping ground in the Serengeti National Park. Wow! Using my Visa card, my Mastercard. Was that credit yeah. card or a debit card? Credit, a credit card. Yep. Because I wanted to uh, ask... You, 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 you would need... I mean, there are all sorts of um, possibilities. Uh, yeah. You can now buy what are effectively debit cards. Yeah. Although they work as credit cards. Mm. The point is you use even a debit card. Most debit cards are now credit cards in disguise. Yeah, except... Oh, sorry. In the sense that it is a visa card that operates through the visa system, the, but directly debits your account, and that's tricky. Well, one they, is you're using your own money; the other one's you using you, your own money. Then yes. spending the banks. Now, I wanted to touch on this because there's um, some young Australians out there that travel with a credit card, but when they come back, they get a massive bill to pay. Well, that's again, you have to be aware of what you're spending. Yeah, and the fees involved as well. Oh, yes, and there are there are some fees, although they're not necessarily huge. You can get caught with exchange rates. Yeah. Because they tend to use the exchange rate that works best for them, mm. um, which is not surprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of them, uh, depending on who, where they're issued from, actually run them through two currencies. Yep. And that really, that, that hits you hard. It so does. there are some tricks with that with using credit card. I mean, what I used had no problems at all. I knew I knew I knew how much I was going to spend. I knew I had the money available. I knew I knew I had the money back in the bank to cover it anyway. I knew I'd be back home in time to pay it off. So there were no problems with that. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, and and what would have have you heard of stories where Australians have been mugged overseas? Directly, I don't know of anybody who's actually been mugged. Mm. And what do you I do know. if you if you've broken the law overseas or you've you've been if mugged? You, if you've broken, well, if you were mugged overseas, yeah. Depending on where you are, mm. um, well, what you, the first thing you do is you do what you do you do anywhere else in the world is you contact the local constabulary and things like that. Yeah, you report it. Mm. Um, but equally, most countries of the world. There is the Australian consulates or somebody acting as Australian consul. And that's exactly what the Australian consulate's job is. The consuls around the world, one of their major jobs is assisting Australian citizens around the world. Yep. Um, I mean, you might, I mean, if you, go, if, you, if you end up in court, what they will do is they will ensure that you get a lawyer and things like that. They won't necessarily pay for it. They might actually pay for it and, and give you a loan to pay for it. Yeah. But they'll ensure that the uh, all the laws of that country, not Australian law, are followed. And bearing in mind that the laws of that country might be quite different to Australian laws. Mm. So what you might think is unreasonable there might in fact be totally reasonable according to the laws of the country you're in. Yeah. So the trick is, um, when you were travelling... You do need to be aware of the local variations, mm. local things. I mean, uh, 
was like, for instance, when I hit Kenya, mm. uh, I was with a another fellow. We both just arrived in the thing, and we were wandering around. And we saw this magnificent building, huge, not big, huge, but a big, like about an eight to ten story building, mm. and it had a flag covering almost the entire face of the building. This Kenyan flag it was a magnificent sight. So we took a photo. Oh dear. Oh dear. We spent. Uh, and a, few, and a couple of local constabulary did grab us and hauled us in. Mm-hmm. And they let us go after about three quarters of an hour because they realised that they weren't going to get any money from us. Mm. It was a shakedown. What, from the police? The police were actually shaking us down. They were actually trying to get us to pay money to go to get away. Are you serious? The police did this to you? Yeah. How did they get away with that? Because I thought... Because, um, because um, we were technically in the wrong. Yeah. Um, they could quite legitimately have thrown us, actually locked us up properly. Yeah. But instead, they kind of, they talked to us, and, they, and eventually we just kind of kept on looking dumb. Yep. Which does help. <laughs> and we're able to, I guess, we're able to get away. Well, they just... interesting at the time. They let you go? Yeah. No, 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 I'm still locked up. <laughs> yes, they let us go. They, 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 they eventually, as I said, I think they eventually worked out that we were not... See, one of the troubles is mm. that because we are travelling in countries that are relatively impoverished, mm. there is a belief that we are ourselves wealthy. Yeah. And compared to them, we are. True. So there is an expectation that we have loose cash that we can just immediately dispose of with us. Mm. Mm-hmm. The problem is both of us just arrived in Kenya and we had no loose cash. It was yeah. all kind of tied up in uh, either travellers' checks or actually on the cards that we were carrying, or uh, but not much in the way of Kenyan currency. Sounded like they wanted to wanted to bribe you. Uh, well, that's to bribe me. I wanted to shake it. It was a shakedown, yeah. Or scare you, yeah. I've heard um, uh, Russia. Uh... Oh, I don't know about Russia. As I said, I have my experience. My experience yeah. was forty-five years ago, but. In most places where there are very weak economies, yeah, yeah, there is a tendency for some of the people who enforce that authority to try to use it to their advantage. Mm. Um, and it happens because well, the system is weak. Mm. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I've been in the third world country, um, uh, Port Villa, Vanuatu, Numea, and I saw things were more loose, like people stand on the back of an SUV while driving. Well, I mean, things like that, it's just general behaviour. They do things there that we used to do in Australia 30 years ago. Yeah, and I was like, what the hell? We can't do this back home. We used to. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, but um, yeah. No, I wanted to point about Russia because I've heard of people actually paying um the border uh, security to get through the border quicker. Money. Um. Yes. Uh... That happened to, to me on the Indian-Pakistani border. Mm-hmm. The group I was with the group, and I was actually I was actually carrying some of the group papers. 
because the bloke who was responsible uh, wasn't allowed into Pakistan because he's Belgian. That's a, that was a funny story too. Are you serious? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, no, there are all sorts of, in this world of ours, there's some very strange things happen. Mm. But anyway, uh, the, the, the bloke on the border kept on asking, that, give me a biro, give me a biro. Because mm. he had no biros. <laughs> Could you not? And the problem was that I, I actually had no biros with me. I had a biro, but the only biro I had was, an, was a good one that I was, couldn't give away. Mm. Didn't want to give away. Yep. Fortunately, somebody else, fortunately, fortunately, there was another biro turned up, so I think it worked all right. Yep. The thing was sold, but nevertheless, it was not as... It was, again, interesting. Well, I suppose those are the uh, awkward situations you come across yep. when you're travelling yep. and crossing borders. It's quite scary when you're doing it for the first time in your life, you know. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to say about, you know, visa, and you mentioned, like, they can turn people back if they don't want... Can they actually refuse entry even if you have a visa? Oh, yes. God. Any country can turn you back at the border, yes. You know, why is that? Like, you know, you've got to... Uh, because the visa is simply says you have passed the first test. Yep. That's all. The visa is simply a first test passed. Yep. Then you have to um, pass the second test. Yep. And then, you know, when you've done that... Uh, they so no, no, because the thing is, as I said earlier, much earlier, borders are taken very seriously. Oh, gosh, yeah, very, very seriously indeed. But I wanted to say, I went to New Zealand, I went up to Auckland, but they were very easy going there for an Australian. Well, I we are near neighbours. We speak the same language. We're cultures. <laughs> but this is all important. And uh, secondly, we are take we are we, at, even then we are taking money into the country. Mm. So they're quite happy to take Australians, and and, and they begin to accept us again in the next couple of weeks. So things will be all right again sooner or later. Hey, well, I wanted to speak about COVID nineteen, and you know. Uh, Africa, you know, has has Ebola over there? Yeah, well, Ebola is hanging around and will hang around for as long as Ebola hangs around. Now, when you went to Africa, did you come across Ebola-infected areas? No, because I was before Ebola. Ah, because Ebola goes back to the 70s. Uh, no, this was actually... Ebola was not a real concern. Yep. The biggest concern in Africa was and still is AIDS. HIV, yeah. HIV, AIDS. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. 
So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes. Yep. Um, that was still his biggest concern. Freddie Mercury um, died of that. Yeah, well, lots of people. I mean, the singer. In, in Africa in particular. Oh, yeah. Because of various factors. Uh, it really was a serious issue. Because I wasn't born when um, HIV came out. Was that a pandemic? Ah, uh, great. That's an interesting question. Or not. Uh, it was never declared a pandemic mm. uh, because of its way it was transmitted. Yep. See, see HIV AIDS is serum transmitted. Yep. In other words, it takes close, intimate contact or transmission of blood. Yes. Or something like this. Yep. That's, that's so it's, what's called, it's called serum transmitted. Yep. Um, this means that it gets into populations and it transmits through populations. Mm through things like sexual promiscuity mm-hmm. and or um, needle usage promiscuity. Yep, yep. They are the two major transmitters of it. There were a couple of horrendously sad cases of transmission through things like blood transfusions. Mm. But uh, generally, this is how it happened. Let's say, say in places like Africa. Yep. Uh because it got widely into the community before there's no general awareness of it, uh, it was in the whole population, mm. male, male and female. Yeah. So uh, something that was very strong advice to anybody was you didn't go anywhere near. And so I'm going to get rough names here. Don't go anywhere near, for instance, near, near a prostitute in most African countries, for instance. Yep. Because there's a very real possibility mm. uh, that she'll have been infected. Yep. Um, because it is, that's, that's um, was a major. So, uh, see, in other parts of the world, because it, uh, because it started, it's, it's, it's kind of, because it got, for instance, into the homosexual population, uh, for various factors, uh, there was less transmission through to the general population. But there was still quite serious transmission. Mm. So it was a serious issue. Yeah. And at the time, it was genuinely scary. It is scary. Um, Australia, Australia, and again, in Australia, yeah. just as we had with COVID, we had an extremely strong, very powerful, and very active um, reaction to it. Um, the television advertising, and if you ever want to see some scary television ads, look up the HIV AIDS television ads from Australia. Mm. They're called the Grim Reaper ads. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, where basically they'd have a, a group of people, and it's men, women, and children, like 10 pin bowling pins, and they would be bowled down by the, by the virus. Hmm. And people, people were. It really was a an all out. This is a very scary disease. Fortunately, we know the main ways you can catch it. 
if you avoid the behaviors that will get, get that you catch the disease you'll be safe if you catch the disease however and at this time mm. you will probably die that is true but now See, in nowadays, a... nowadays they have very good treatments yeah i was going to no talk about that no vaccination but very good treatments so it's now possible for people with hiv to live relatively normal lives there's people out there that live with it and just look healthy but is it true um, that uh, should avoid alcohol and um, smoking? Well, they're the kind of th- because because they're immuno because they're immunocompromised. Yeah, they have they have to live a similar lifestyle to somebody, for instance, who's receiving treatment for cancer. Yep. They have, to have, they have to look after themselves in that same kind of way as somebody receiving some of these other immunosuppressing, mm-hmm. uh, immune-response-suppressing immune conditions. So it's, so it's actually a scary condition, but it is now treatable. Yep. So you can live a, a relatively normal life, but bearing in mind that you are taking a, a load of medications... Mm. And, if you're, and if you're taking a load of medications, then you want to give them the best chance to work. Mm. So you stay off things that are likely to make them not work. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, um, Magic Johns, the NBA basketball player, yeah. has HIV, and he's he apparently just lives normal. Well, as I said, he lives as normally as yeah. um, as can be. Yeah. You know, but there's still no vaccine for HIV. How come? Do you think we'll get a vaccine one day? Um, a lot of work is going on with it, for about it. Mm. But at the same time, um, nobody really knows. I mean, it's like everything. Because it is, um, unlike the coronaviruses, it's a very strange little virus. And what particularly makes it very, very nasty mm. in terms of vaccination is it constantly reinvents itself. Yes. It's one of these viruses that constantly reinvents itself. Mm. And by, by, by doing that, it makes life very hard for other people. Yeah, the problem with um, uh, HIV is if the mother has it, it, it passes on to the child and the child's got it for the rest of his or her life. That's that's quite bad, because there's no cure for it. There's no cure, but there's very good treatments. Yes, that's correct. I mean, talk about the Ebola virus. Now, that's a very bad virus. Any young person can pick it up. Anyone can get it. Yeah, but unlikely. Yep. Because it is being controlled in many ways. Mm-hmm. The same way as um, the COVID is being is being controlled, well, just, people are just very aware of it where it is. Yeah, there's a high awareness of it, and by being aware of it, you can by being aware of it, you can actually keep track of it. Well, COVID's an interesting um, virus because I've heard of cases where children 
can have COVID-19 and just have a like a mild sore, a runny nose and a sore throat, and then they've given it to the parents and the elderly, and the kids don't. Oh, oh yes, I mean like that's all weird. Of these viruses, there are, they are all sorts of challenges. Yeah. And all sorts of way it affects you. So I wouldn't want again. Uh, it needs to be taken seriously. I mean, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he picked it up from his two two little children. And he, he had, I think he just had mild symptoms of just a slight sore throat. He could easily, yep. Now, and, but see, in the pandemic, I think the World Health Organization was advising elderly not to visit the grandchildren, especially the kids. Oh, uh, yeah, that probably still, that's still, that is still applying, yes. That's, that's quite, it's sad, because... It's sad, but it's, it is. Mm. That's what I think they're doing is what is rather than what we would like. You know, and at your age, you know, the older you get, apparently COVID nineteen can affect you more than when you're younger. Uh, again, that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I, I am being officially old as I am. Yep. I'm kind of sitting in that that band of. It's interesting. I saw the. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw the the, the, the British list, mm. and being being over seventy, I'm in the fourth group of people who'd be vaccinated in Britain. Yep. They start they start with the very old, then they go to the medical professionals, then they go to the older. They people people who are immune compromised, people who are going to be sick, other people who. And I was about the fourth group. I was a so, uh, but nevertheless, uh, at the moment, there's no problems with me. That's good. And if there are no problems, there are no problems. Well, that's it. I mean, there was a, a woman who was 103 years old. Uh, she tested positive to COVID-19 and she lived through the Spanish flu and apparently she survived and she's fine. That wouldn't surprise me, yeah. And that's strange. And there was a young man who was fit and healthy and he died of COVID-19. Yeah, again, diseases and how diseases work... Yeah. And what they, how they affect individual people is one of these unknown things. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so you have something like COVID-19, which is a disease that is just on a year old. Yeah, it's fairly new. <laughs> fairly new. It is less than a year since the first case yep. was reported in, in a human being. Uh It's amazing that so much is known about it at all. I know. How it's, going to, how it's going to affect individual people, we don't know. Let's see, when it first came out, the symptoms were so similar to a normal flu. Well, yeah, normal flu, normal cold, yes. I mean, they still are. You know, I've been tested yeah. for COVID-19 yeah. twice. Yeah, that, yeah that, that, is, that, is, that is unless you get very sick. Yeah. In which case, the, uh, the symptoms are of a, a major... Uh, and you're, and you're dying. Yeah, and that's that's what I found out. Because um, I, I, when I first heard about it, I thought it was just a little virus. But, um, uh, you know, the symptoms is just weird because they don't show up straight away. Like SARS or MERS or the flu. Did? Yeah. 
you know, and uh, then the whole isolation as well. You know, but uh, yeah, it's it's been, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Do you think COVID nineteen will still be around even when we've got a vaccine? COVID nineteen will be around for at least twenty years. Wow. What will happen is, if you want to travel around the world, mm-hmm. just as nowadays, if you want to go to South America, yep, you've got to get your yellow fever vaccination. Mm-hmm. When I started traveling, if you wanted to go anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. you had to have your yellow card. Yep. And and this card had your vaccination for smallpox, cholera, typhoid. Yep. And basically, you went, most countries in the world wouldn't let you cross the border if you didn't have proof of those vaccinations. Mm-hmm. In fact, most countries in the world, until they eliminated, would not let you in, particularly the smallpox. Yeah. If you didn't have a smallpox vaccination, sorry, mate, you go home. Yeah. But see, you got these um, anti anti uh, vax, uh, vaccine vaccinators out there that thinking vaccines cause autism. Uh, you lived in a time where it was a doctor. I don't know his name. He he wrote an uh, article. I know, I know of the story. Yes, I mean it was a. It's one of these somewhat scandalous events of modern medicine. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, because uh, I've I've spoken to a few people and um, I heard well they didn't uh, the vaccine wasn't in the right temperature in the fridge and it might have caused caused some problems in the body. Yeah. But there's no medical evidence to say that vaccines cause autism because if you're a doctor or a nurse, well you have to have a vaccine, of course. Yeah. Well, that is it. I mean, see, uh, the vaccines causing autism was. I mean, I actually had a colleague whose son had autism. Yep. And he was convinced it was the vaccine. Yep. Because the, pro- the problem is that autism presents mm. and it starts being visible at the same time as you're getting the vaccine. Yep. Unfortunately, when that's, that, that just happens. Mm. That's happened, and so what happens is that you have a vaccine shot and... You might get a bit crook as a result, because that meant quite a few kids did. Mm. And then you develop autism. Yeah. It's a fairly natural belief that there's a cause and effect. Because you, you see the one personal case. What you don't see is the 100 kids who were vaccinated didn't get any kind of side effects. Mm. And didn't develop autism. And what you see, what you don't see, is the unvaccinated kids, who therefore didn't have any side effects, who also developed autism. Mm, mm, and mm. they did this. They did the arithmetic. Yep. The arithmetic wasn't very hard. With large numbers of people, and worked out that no, 
Whether you're having a not moving off the couch while you watch the game kind of day, or a no time between conference calls kind of day, it can still be a delicious Dunkin' kind of day. And with Dunkin' now available on DoorDash, it's easier than ever to get your faves brought right to your door. So if you're looking for coffees, donuts, and breakfast sandwiches in the morning, craving some afternoon snack and bacon, or in need of Dunkin' refreshers for a PM pick-me-up, we've got you covered. Order now and get your faves brought to your door through Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash. Price and participation may vary. Exclusions apply. America runs on Dunkin'. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It does not cause. There's no connection. Mm. Well, there's none. I mean, I I know people in the military when they go overseas have to have vac- vaccines. Soldiers do. Oh well, I mean there are lots of vaccines. I mean, I've I've had rabies vaccine. I've had yellow fever vaccine. I've actually had I had cholera. Yeah. Uh, even as late as the early nineties. You had cholera disease or the cholera vaccine. Cholera, cholera vaccination. Yeah. Uh, that was necessary for some countries still. Hmm. Uh, yellow fever was still necessary for some countries. Uh, I mean, if they could develop a vaccine for malaria, I would definitely have it before I travelled anywhere. Yeah, I wanted to speak about malaria because that that spread from a mosquito bite. Well, that's one of the ways, yeah. Now, it's advised if you do travel to a malaria-infected country, you take malaria tablets. Yep. But I've heard there's side effects to them. Well, there are about ten different types of malaria tablets. Yep. So some have some some have side effects, some don't. Yep. Some turn you yellow historically. <laughs> Lewis had to joke that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's um because in the Northern Territory we have what's called uh, Ross River fever. Yeah, and that's. Similar one. And the other thing is, um, you make sure you have some kind of anti-malaria, some kind of malarial protection, some kind of mosquito protection. Yeah, because when I went, I just I just put mosquito repellent. Oh yeah, that's that. Mosquito repellent is a, is a pretty good, pretty good way to start. But then you think like the Aboriginals who are living out in the land, you don't they don't seem to get like Ross River uh, fever. Possibly they're adapted to it. Yeah. Possibly that gives it you don't hear about it. Hmm. That does happen. Because Ross River fever, I'm told, you can be sick up to six months and your body just has to get rid of it on that's its own. It. And, that, and that's it, see, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're living in that area, yeah, it's quite possible that um, you might get a very low dose, a low intensity dose as a young person hmm. and live through it. Mm. And build up your antibodies. Well, that's that's true. I mean, there's um, uh, tribes in the Amazon jungle that have a, an immunity to malaria. There are actually quite a few. Um, a lot of the uh, the Black African races. Yeah. Um, carry what's called sickle cell anemia. Mm. And along the southern Mediterranean, there's something called uh, that's 
Tassily sphere. Tassily? Mm. I think it's against that. Um, and what happens is this is a, a genetic condition mm. that while it's nasty, restricts your life. And if, if you have only one gene for it, you are far from being a healthy person. But this same condition sets up your blood in such a way that it kills the malaria parasite. Yep. So you've got this trade-off. So I think someone with sickle cell edema is, is, is a particularly common one, but there's a fairly, that's fairly, I can't remember why I got the name wrong, it's, that uh, actually will, uh, having it in your genes mm. will restrict the capacity for malaria to kill you. Mm. Not the best way to do it. Mm. But it works. Well, there was talks about uh, some malaria drugs to treat COVID-19 as well. I think it was doxycycline. Oh, the hydroxychloroquine, yes, which... Uh, Is it doxychloroquine? Which uh, never worked. Yeah. But, um, no, that, that was some talks. But that's media. I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, don't listen to the media. Listen to the health experts. Um, yeah. But see, there's been a the as where I think Australia is looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine, and that there's someone had an allergic reaction to the stage. I think it was stage two trial of it. Yeah, yeah. Again, there have been all sorts of interesting things that have happened. Now Britain's got their own one. I think every country's going to develop their own brand of this vaccine. Actually, actually Britain. Is using the uh, the Pfizer one, which is French German. Yeah. Um, which is not which is quite surprising. But what's the difference? Is there a difference in vaccine? Because oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Um, there are all sorts of ways and ways you can make them. See the what the one the, and see basically vaccines uh, work by persuading the body to recognize that you've got this disease floating around that, that this is nasty mm. and um i don't want the body to say hey this is nasty i don't like it get rid of it. it out yeah and um so there are a couple of different flavors of vaccines and they're, they're technically quite different this way i put it one works using something like something like the direct virus, the virus, or something. Uh, what's called an attenuated version of the virus itself. And what they do is they get something that's like the virus, only a lot weaker, mm. Mm. and they inject that into you, mm. or something like the outer shell of the virus. And what that, the body says, oh, this is something that feels wrong. I'm going to get rid of it. Yep. Uh, and other ones actually work at the genetic level and they're much more complex yep i mean to to me patrick i see it uh if it's if it's saving your life then it doesn't matter what brand if it's astrazeneca oh, no, 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 it's not the brand the fact is the fact that they work differently and yeah and have different and have different availability i mean the astrazenecs if it works which is a british one of the british ones yeah will have a great advantage of being very cheap and because of nature being able to be carried around in ordinary fridges, whereas the Pfizer one 
mm. have to be kept hard frozen, 70 degrees below. Yeah. Which is very cold indeed. Mm. It's It gets to the question, well, do you take it straight away or do you wait until they fix the fix or improve it? Um, you know? <laughs> How long is a piece of string? Yeah, I mean, I get the flu shot every year. I've found since yep. getting it, I haven't caught the flu. Maybe just a mild cold, but when I never used to have it, I'd, I'd get the flu. Um, is it true that um, the pharmaceutical company's always improving the flu shot? Well, the thing about the flu is uh, not that they're improving it. Mm-hmm. The flu is also another one of these, these family of viruses. Yeah. And there's no single flu to them. Yeah. And there are eight, there are at least eight mm. different families of flu germs. You've got the H, you've got the H5N3 and things like that they talk about. Yep. And um, what happens is, is that they're, they're families, but every year the flu mutates, it changes itself slightly. Mm-hmm. And by changing itself slightly... That means the previous flu shot ain't going to work. Mm. And so that's the issue. The, the previous flu shot won't necessarily work. Mm. Mm. So each year they have to create a, a new, a new uh, flu vaccine to match this year's flu. Yeah, it it is quite true that you say that because I, I, I get told from my GP that, oh, it's going to be a bad flu season this year. Well, they can tell that, yes, because uh, many of the flu, they, they know what the symptoms are going to be. Yeah. And they can have a pretty good guess as to what flu, what the flu this year is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Are they... Because they know the, the, the flavours, as I said, the flavour of the flu for this year might be um, one of the stronger versions, or it might be simply flu. And some flus, as I said, it's got the flavour. Yeah. And each year the flu changes itself ever so slightly. And sometimes they say, Oi, I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, the flu. It's it, And I wanted to speak about, you know, COVID-19 and the weather. We didn't hear much about COVID-19 up in the outback of the Northern Territory or Perth. Does, well, um... Does this virus like a because, certain temperature? Because it needs people to spread it. Ah, so it spreads with people. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. If, you think about it, if you think about it, I yeah. mean, these viruses are spread by people. That's it. Look, I've even picked up the flu in the middle of summer from the air conditioning. Yeah. You know, but I, I mentioned the outback because, it, I mean, in the Northern Territory is very hot in the dry season. Yeah. Does this virus have a temperature that it, it likes most? Because it seemed the cold weather. It's it... uh, This is something that they... Their first reaction was probably the warmer weather would be less... It would be less comfortable in the warmer weather. Yeah. 
most of these viruses prefer the colder weather. Yep. But again, this one's not necessarily playing by the rules. Yeah, because it spread quite quick in Singapore, and Singapore's yeah. quite muggy. America, too, in the summer when it was 40 yeah. degrees. Because yeah, so the, as I said, this flu, this, this, this little beastie yeah. is very much playing by his own rules. He says, I'm coronavirus. I'm going to get you the way I want to. That's it, you know. It was a weird virus. Um, it came from Wuhan, China. Well, probably, yes. Now, do you think this was a man-made virus or no, spread from no, bats, no. from a sea market or a fish market in Wuhan? No, I, I don't in any way go for the theory about that it was necessarily made by, that was man-made. Yeah. Because there are conspiracy uh, theories out there. There are all sorts of wonderful theories, <laughs> most of which don't make much sense when you look at them. You know, I, I hear a conspiracy theory of American soldiers decided to let the virus out into the public oh, of Wuhan. Yeah, definitely. You know. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, one of the issues is that to be a military virus, yep. uh, it'd be useless. You don't you don't create a military virus unless you have an antidote for it. Well, that's it. Because <laughs> I, I, as that? I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> as easy as that. I mean, you just don't, you don't you don't kill your own population out of spot out, out, out of the possibility on the off chance you might hurt somebody else. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's it's common sense. I mean, I hear conspiracy theories of World War Three is going to be uh, fought with a virus. Well, now, nah, do you think there will another, be? That's, a, that's another. We uh, <laughs> how World War Three is going to be fought? Heaven knows. Thank God, it's not likely to be happened. Not likely to happen. But. Uh, if, there are several possibilities. If you, if, um, if you play uh, Call of Duty Black Ops and they've got all the modern technology of World War Three, that's a possibility. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know... No, no, the thing is, um, something like World War Three and... Uh, <laughs> the, 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 big daddy would put, the big daddy, of course, World War Three and the nukes. Yeah. And I'm of a generation when World War Three was going to be fought by nuclear weapons. Yeah. The, doesn't nuclear weapons go back all the way to the Cold War? Uh, they go back to pre-Cold War. And World War Two. The, the, the first and only use of nuclear weapons was World War Two. Yeah, in Hiroshima. The, the Hiroshima-Nagasaki bombs. Yeah. Now, um, when you think about it... Uh, after World War Two, they then developed bigger, badder, and nastier nukes. Yeah, I mean the the bomb the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki were fission bombs. They were pretty good. As bombs go, they were they were quite nasty. Mm-hmm. However, um, since then they've developed. The, uh, the the H bomb, yeah, the efficient bomb, the fusion mm. bomb, mm. and it, it was so much for bang for the buck. 
Yeah, that, that was bad stuff. I mean, the Adam. It, it is bad stuff, and uh, again, I'm of the generation, you know, where there was quite serious possibilities. Whether you're having a not moving off the couch while you watch the game kind of day, or a no time between conference calls kind of day, it can still be a delicious Dunkin' kind of day. And with Dunkin' now available on DoorDash, it's easier than ever to get your faves brought right to your door. So if you're looking for coffees, donuts, and breakfast sandwiches in the morning, craving some afternoon snack and bacon, or in need of Dunkin' refreshers for a PM pick-me-up, we've got you covered. Order now and get your faves brought to your door through Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash. Price and participation may vary. Exclusions apply. America runs on Duncan. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Going, oh, the world disappearing overnight. I mean, the atom bomb was tested in Maralinga, Australia. I think that's yep. in Western... Is that Western Australia? Uh, Central Australia, South Australia. Now, the Aborigines weren't told about it and they ended oh, up... Oh, lots of people weren't told about it. But see, in the history books, no one talks about the atom bomb in Australia. For some, and there's uranium in this in I think some parts of the Northern Territory. Oh, the fact that Australia mines uranium is well known. Yeah. Uh, the mining of the, the mining of uranium in Australia is pretty common stuff. You see, the the Central Intelligence Agency CIA they've done a lot of dirty stuff. Yeah, however, however, what was happening in Australia has nothing to do with America. Yeah. That was all Great Britain. Oh, yeah, I think it was the Brit- the British did. Yeah, they did come yeah, to no, Australia. Yeah, no, that was all Great Britain. I mean, the uh, the Australian involvement in any nuclear developments hmm. was entirely Great Britain. Did Australia get involved in the with the CIA? Oh, they won't admit to it. You know, because the CIA, they've done a lot of dirty things, I think, in World... Were they in World War Two? I know they were in no, Vietnam. In World War II was the OSS. Yeah. And the OSS was... Um, was the, 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 the then existing clandestine system. Yeah. And uh, they had these kind of organisations that were doing nasty things. And, and every government in, in, in wartime, it is hardly common... Mm to have various types of dirty deed doers. Yeah, they, um, I think the CIA, I could, I could be wrong, the CIA had something to do with uh, J.F. Kennedy's death. Could, oh, I don't know. conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's why I said could, or, you know. Not, not even could. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the trouble is, it is so much easier, mm, mm. so much more satisfying to have a wonderful story about a big conspiracy plot yeah. to with all sorts of powerful things than the fact that a stupid nutter acting on his own was able to do it. <laughs> there was no skill involved. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, that, that kind of came and said, oh, but some of the so-called evidence yeah. is simply crap. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of crap out there, Patrick. Um, but but that case, in this particular case, some of the some of the stuff I talk about is simply a total not. But it was mm. basically Hollywood physics rather than real physics about the way bodies move when they're hit with bullets. Mm. You know, they said, "Oh, that bullet went forward." If it was simply bullets, we've gone backwards. Sorry, mate, that's just Hollywood. But still, 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 to this day, we that no one knows who 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 assassinated J, uh, JF Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald. Nee Harvey Oswald did it. From the third floor of the Dallas Book Depository, got his little gun out and shot him bang, bang. And this has been proven. Or was this conspiracy theory? There's a bit. He was there, he had the gun, and the bullet that killed Kennedy came from his gun. I don't know. I don't know what to say, you know. I mean, mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, that, that is. That is. Well. I would say the 95% certainty. Mm. There is a, a remote possibility of some other people being involved, but the whole... The trouble is, <laughs> for any conspiracy <coughs> to involve somebody, to involve no conspirator worth their salt would have involved a nutter like him. Yeah. If I was building a conspiracy to assassinate the president, I would not involve a stark, raving nutter. And he was a proven nutter, like Lee Harvey Oswald. Because you couldn't trust him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just... The, the, making it work would have been impossible. True. Is it? I mean, it's... it's, it's now, really, it's... I'm, 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 to convince me of the existence of a major conspiracy, you need a lot more evidence than the stuff, you know, the fact that, oh, there were, echo, there were extra bullets. No, there were also echoes. Mm. Uh, the, the way the body moved when the bullet hits it. Just study real life of how people move when their bullets hit them instead of imagining what Hollywood shows you and things like this. Yep. But see, by some of the evidence is that uh, the mayor, who was right with that, moved backward, forwards instead of backwards when he was hit. Mm. They said, or oh, if he was hit in front, he would have had to have gone backwards. That's why yep. the bullet would have pushed him. Well, the bullets don't push you. The bullet hits you, it doesn't push you anywhere. And your body reacts by jerking. So you go forwards. Yeah. No matter where the bullet, where, no matter where the bullet hits you, you're going to go forwards. Well, that's physics, isn't it? Well, that's actually physiology. The, the physics is that a bullet doesn't have the mass to push you backwards. Yeah. I mean, you know, all those. Somebody, you know, if you're seeing a, a western or any kind of shooting out where the people fly backwards after they're shot, and you've seen it on television films, haven't you? Yep. The only reason they go backwards when they're shot is there is a wire attached to them and the wire is pulled. Mm. If they were hit, when people are hit by a bullet, mm-hmm. the body effectively doesn't move mm. because the weight of the body. Is such the weight of the bullet. In fact, the uh, the Mythbusters did it. They had a, a pig, uh, a, a pig carcass weighing about the same as a human being. And they shot at the bullet, and it just hung there stationary. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the CIA uh, in Washington, there's so much secret with with um, 
uh, the American uh, Central Intelligence Agency. The, the, in fact, the whole space war, uh, race with Russia and America as well, and you get conspiracy theories about Neil Armstrong not landing on the moon. Oh, that's, that's a great one. That, that but, is getting into the total... Um, that's getting, that's getting into, into the, the, the absolutely total... Nutter. Some of those ones are totally nutters. Yeah, I mean... Uh, he, again, yeah. to make that work would require, again, the size of the conspiracy. Mm. How many thousands, how many tens of thousands, how many thousands of people would be involved? Yeah. This is one of the things people people tend to forget when they start inventing these stories, is that how many thousands of people would have to be involved to make it work. Well, yeah, how, old, how old are you when... Um, the moon landing was Patrick. Uh, let me see. I was in my sixty-nine. I'd not yet turned twenty-two. Yep. I was in my first year of teaching. And uh, if you mind me asking, would you be able to tell the audience the year you you, you were born? Nineteen forty-seven. So you were born. Were you born in this at the end of the Second World War? I actually belong to what is. There's the true baby boom. Wow. So the baby boom actually happened over two years. Yep. When I talk about baby boomers, the actual baby boom itself only lasted two years. Yep. In 1946 and 1947, a lot more babies were born than in the previous years. In 1946 in particular, a huge number of babies were born. Wow. And then, it, and then in 1947... Quite a few more than were born, and then by 1948, it was back to normal. Mainly because daddies who had been away for a long time came home. Mm. Yeah, because my my grandparents uh, were were born in uh, 1935 and 1936, so that was probably that was getting to the end of the Second World War. 35 is pre-war. That's pre-war. Your grandparents lived through the war as children. Because it's a granddad. Uh, they, would have been, they would have been very young children, so they wouldn't remember it. Yeah, granddad lived in communist Hungary. Oh, heavens to Metatroid. Um, yeah. If, when, when, when did he born again? 1930? 1930, uh, 5. I think grandma was 1936, if I've got my dates right. He was born in 1935. Yeah. He would have been 10 when the, when the war ended. Um, and. At the time he was living mm. in Hungary, that would have been part of the German influenced area. Yeah, he did. He did say he, he saw a lot of Germans. See, 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 communist, communist Hungary didn't exist at that stage. It didn't. Oh no, Hungary was part of the Austro-Hungarian German kind of influence. Because Stalin was around, he was the dictator of oh, communism. I, I know, but, but, he was, but he was at that stage. Yeah. It was under the Soviet Union. Yeah. See, Stalin at that stage ran the Soviet Union which was what is now Russia. Yeah. And a handful of countries that kind of surrounded Russia. Mm. Things like what countries that are now separate, Belarus, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, some of those stands and things over in East Russia. And on the western side, I said mainly Belarus, Georgia, and Azerbaijan, which is on the Armenia. Yeah. And these were actually part of the Soviet Union. Mm. 
which was a big, very big uh, single entity. Yep. And uh, countries like Hungary were small countries hanging around in what was just generally called Middle Europe. Mm. But they were mainly under the influence of, Germ- of Germany. Mm. Because, prior, because in prior to, at the, at the end of World War One, we had what was called the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Mm. And Austria and was actually one of the major powers. Mm. So all of these, you had all these smallish countries floating around in the middle of Europe, uh, which effectively Germany took over. And because of where they were at the end of World War II, uh, the Soviet Union, who was on the winning side, mm. took, out, took over the care of them, what they would say, and by taking their responsibility for looking, looking after them, they locked them in under their control. Yeah, because my, so gran- my granddad... They, they, but, but they were, in fact, separate countries. Yeah. Uh, Hungary, was, Hungary has been an independent, nominally independent country of quite some time. Mm. So they were never actually directly ruled by Moscow or anything like that. Mm. They had their own. They had their own government. So when I visited Hungary, it was a separate country, a separate visa, separate passport control, and all of these things. Yeah, because Granddad told me uh, if you tried to escape the Hungarian border, they'd they'd shoot even a bird. Oh yes, I mean after World War Two. Yeah. When the Soviet, when the Iron Curtain, basically when the Soviet Curtain, when the Soviet Union found what was called the Warsaw Pact. Yeah. And basically all of those countries. To the east of Germany, basically, mm. to draw, kind of draw a line down the map, and draw, kind of, there's countries east of Germany, countries like Hungary and Czechoslovakia. Hungary and Czechoslovakia were the two big ones. Mm. Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and Poland. Uh, those three were taken into the Soviet Union. Uh, sorry, into the Soviet influence. They weren't Soviet. You know, it became part of a a big general common country, common union, something like, something, like, something like European Union, actually, except much more strongly controlled from the centre. They all, they, all, they all fell to communist regimes, mm. and they're all members of that same big family. And because the grass is greener on the other side of the border, mm. and because life was pretty hard in those countries, although not necessarily as hard to everybody, uh, people did try to get out. And, well, I don't blame them because... So they actually, so actually did build a physical fence. Oh, my God. I remember my granddad was saying that uh, he even saw German. Uh, can I say? Would you use the word Nazi soldiers? Yeah. Are they called Nazis, or would you call them German soldiers? Well, um, it, it, the in World War Two, you call them you call them German soldiers. Yeah. Unless uh, unless you are specifically identifying them as the way they worked. 
Yeah. And uh, I think he was... I think the German soldiers, even the generals, would actually go on the front line as well. Well... With them. It's hard to feel... I mean, I'm not... I I wasn't really familiar with the... um, With the the German military. I mean, it's a long time since that little war of ours. Mm. That last war. Uh, It was a a hair-raisingly bad war. Yeah. Because uh, uh, the Ger- the Germans uh, they they had the uh, they had their own little special unit called the SS. Oh, again, let's not get into the details. But the the German history had some very strange, very sad, very um, very interesting things, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, you know. When uh, yeah, because. <sighs> I don't know if there's too much uh, 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 information about the SS and what they did. Were they like a special oh, unit? Oh, hang on, hang on. There's... <laughs> no, no, Nate, you're absolutely wrong. There is so much stuff about the whole the whole way World War Two was fought and the various um, mm. uh, units within the war mm. that you really can't. Um, Oh no no no! It's, it is more it's more documented. I mean, in fact, basically, for the last uh, twelve months, I mean, if, you, if you watched SBS on television, you would be seeing stuff about what the Germans did, what the SS did, what those various bits of the German army did. Mm. Oh no, it's very well known. You see. The 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 Russian uh, had the uh, gulag camps, and there were German soldiers that were captured and and taken to Siberia. Oh well, that's another interesting one. You know, and they the, weren't. Um, and under the Ge- Geneva Convention, they were supposed to be looked after. Oh well, I mean, again, uh, what happened in when the gulags, the Russians also, but the Soviets, yeah, um, also had the camps for uh, their internal dissidents as well. Mm. Uh, so, uh, in, in that in that sense, they weren't treating the uh, German prisoners any significantly differently. Mm. The big issue, the, the, the big problem with the gulags, was the uh, after World War Two. Mm. Uh, quite a few of the uh, Germans who had returned. So quite a few of the Russians who had returned from having been captured in the war mm. were treated as being suspicious because they'd been exposed to those corrupting influences or they'd surrendered or something, and they were, in fact, again, locked up in Russia. Mm. And what happened to what the prisoners of war at various times in various places is just one of these things that just happens. Yeah, I mean... And then you had the POWs, the Japanese, uh, when they captured... Well, um... Yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, there are all sorts of things happened in and around with most of the parties in World War Two. Mm. Uh, there is little evidence mm. and, not, and, and, and no major suggestions that the British... Or the Allies generally were in any way out of order in the way they treated the prisoners of war. But because there have been no complaints made, shall we say, mm. 
Uh, and certainly, most prisoners of the war in Germany, for instance, were treated reasonably well, yeah. bearing in mind that they were uh, moved back from the front line. Mm. So they were in very unpleasant parts of the country. Mm. In winter, it was very cold. Um, and Germany, Germany's ec- economy was falling to pieces. Yeah, they were poor. So the, co- the country was going broke. Mm. So it was very hard for them to look after those prisoners as well as they should have. So what the, the actual treatment of prisoners was also partly a function of the fact that the country was going broke. Yeah. Not any deliberate callousness. Callous, callous, callousness. So, so really, uh, I would not um, go into a major rewrite of the history of, mm. of, the, of the World War Two, except to say that certainly there were some very evil things happened to prisoners of war. Mm. I mean, at various of... times through World War Two and even World War One. You had uh, Australia uh, had involvement uh, with Japan, and there were some Australian POWs were captured in, uh, in oh, look, World War Two. Again, II. Australian prisoners of war in Japan. It's, it's again very well documented. Yeah, um, I've known a couple of ex-POWs from Japan. Only a couple of them in my lifetime. What they say? What did they talk? Oh, what happened? They didn't. Yeah. You know. Generally, they don't. Um, this is a thing because it, it was not a happy experience. No. Uh, but again, this was, but with Japanese in particular, which is the one that affected Australia, because there were a lot of Australian prisoners of war mm. in Japan under Japanese control, and they were treated incredibly harshly. Because mm. the... the thing was, the thing was, and this is something people tend to forget, is that. They were not treated, although they were treated incredibly harshly, they were not necessarily treated a hugely amount worse than the, Ameri- than the Japanese treated their own troops. Wow. Uh, the Japanese had a very, very strict system. Mm. So, uh, to, to some extent, uh, the way the Japanese treated the Australians, it was just, they were certainly. You know, the, the thing is that Jap- the Japanese whole culture had this uh, toughness to it at that time, of treating people toughly at that time. Yeah, I, I mean, they they saw being captured as, as if you were captured, you were a coward. There was, there was something like of that, to, to some extent that was the case, you see what I'm saying? And the Japanese, well, to avoid capture, did what was called kamikaze. Cause no, they... Harakiri. Oh, it's Harakiri, not kamikaze. Wrong one. My apologies. Yes. Um, uh, and the kamikaze was another thing again. Mm. But and again, uh, as I said, that, that's not that was somewhat aberrant behaviour, really. Because mm. I know not... uh, they 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 hated American troops for some reason. Um, Americans. The thing, is, the thing when you think about it, uh, a lot of warfare mm. is about training your troops mm. to necessarily hate your opponent, not to hate your your opponents, but mm. to a lot of time. Again, this is the whole thing was that. Uh, 
the, 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 uh, the story behind the Second World War is slightly more complicated than the simple story of Japanese expansionism. Yeah. There's, there are more complications to it than that. It's not quite as simple as that, shall I say. Well, there was a Japanese submarine found in Sydney Harbour. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's still down in the Baltimore and Canberra. And uh, they did bomb Darwin as well. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 and, they, and, and they actually sank shipping off the New South Wales coast. That's scary. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean they're kind of a long way away, but not that far away. Well, how, how far is Japan from Australia? What, eight-hour eight hour flight? Yeah, so it's, it's significant. But once you put a navy at sea, yeah. and once you have that navy operating out of the uh, mm. the islands off New, Z- off New, off New Guinea, that, that's, that's how far, that's, that is actually the, the extent to which Japan expanded its navy during the war. And once you have a navy... Yeah. Naval vessels can sail a long way. Well, they are. They're a, they're a transportation air. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. they're like yeah, an that's airport. That's how these boats can go a long way. Yeah. And, uh, so, but I said there was certainly bit, there was certainly um, shipping sunk, almost certainly by submarines, off the south coast of New South Wales. Mm. So the, the war actually did come quite close to Australia. Yeah. How come it? How come? <sighs> Japan uh, failed to take over Australia. Um, probably distance more than anything. Yet they were so good to manage to to, to come all the way to Darwin. Oh, no, they, they never actually landed in Darwin. Yeah, they were able. They were able to. So you don't forget to be able to attack a country, but from by air, is quite different to be able to invade and land in that country. Yeah. I mean, don't forget that Britain was bombing Western Europe mm. from, oh, certainly 1941. Mm. It probably even, just said 1941, for, for Britain to get into, into uh, Western France, they had, what, 50 miles of ocean to cover? Yeah. Oh, and the Americans had to the Atlantic across, but at least they had, eventually worked out, eventually that became fairly safe. The Russians, to get into Australia, the Japanese were moderately well established here in New Guinea, mm. certainly on the northern side of New Guinea. Mm. Uh, however, that's kind of about as close as they ever got. Mm. Because, and so to, if they wanted to get stuff into New Guinea to, to kind of come down to Australia, the rest of Australia, that's also fairly close to Australia. Australians get back at them. Mm. When Australia, if they could bomb, if they can bomb Darwin, the Americans in particular, with their naval, uh, with their airport uh, aircraft carriers, could bomb them. Yeah, I mean, so it, was, it, was, it was mutual. I mean, you look at the uh, the uh, German um, uh, fighter pilots. They they were quite good. They were. Oh yes, I mean there was some very good fighting ability. The German army uh, seemed to have a very yes. like top army. They were one of the best. Yet they lost. Yeah, uh, sheer numbers. Yeah. Uh, 
they made one and a half mistakes. Mm. Their big mistake was taking on Russia mm. or the Soviet Union because that because Russia was even bigger, mm. and it is. And uh, Russia has uh, what is often regarded as its own private, its own special army, maybe winter. And they, the Germans, just as Napoleon did way back 150 years before, mm. suddenly found out that uh, it's very cold in Russia. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, and, 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 uh, basically, and it's a long way from anywhere. I mean, Russia is very, very big. Yeah. And basically, so they, uh, when the Germans started going into, into the Russian states, they found that they had very long supply lines and very cold, and they just got bogged down. Yeah, well, it freezes up and, your weapons as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, so, that's, so that was the first thing. And their second mistake was being allied with Japan, mm. who decided to go to war and bringing in America. Mm. And when America came into the war, that all of a sudden put another very big army in against the uh, German army. Mm. So basically, the Germans certainly had a superior army at the start of the war. Mm. Uh, but their opposing armies certainly trained up and learned how to be a good army, practical mm. experience, and eventually just had the sheer numbers. And, they, and the other thing was Germany, if you look at it on a map, is cut off from the rest of the world. Mm. They, they had very limited supply supplies. Yeah, they did. It was very yeah, difficult. They, yeah, they, they had access to very limited access to resources. Um, so things like rubber. Mm. That's one of the reasons why you know the whole uh, Malay Peninsula bit was important mm. because that was, going to, that was partly getting rubber, get partly partly controlled rubber. Mm. Uh, so things like that, things like even rubber, it was a play to, it was important thing. I mean, you try running an army without rubber tyres on your vehicles. That's not the only thing, but that kind of thing. So, uh, and although Germany had fairly good coal and iron, mm. uh, they weren't unlimited. Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, Germany and things like Germany was was a kind of enclosed, whereas. Although England is a smallish bit of land, uh, it's, it was accessible by ocean from, to America. So America kept England fed. Mm. Or America was fed via England, and places like Australia or America, and, more, more, more Canada, they mm. kept England fed through the war. Mm. Things like this. Mm. So Germany found that they'd actually bit not more than they could chew. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, there's the two big mistakes. One was having a crack at Russia. Mm. Because there is some state people who believe that uh, Hitler actually believed that England would help them against Russia. Mm. And- Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. 
Your health. Our experts. Safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. 911, what's your emergency? Señora, ¿me está diciendo que un tren le pegó a una camioneta? Sí, yo pensé que el que sería cruzar, el hijo iba rápido, creo, y después... ¡Ay, Dios mío, qué horror! No puedes saber a qué velocidad viene un tren. Por eso están los señalamientos de advertencia. Obedécelos. Alto, el tren no para. Mensaje de Netza. A country that was basically, basically on its side mm. to a country that's a, to a huge army uh, and a huge country physically fighting against them. Mm. And as I said, being allied with Japan, who brought Russia in, who, who brought America in, and uh, that's it, 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 half a mistake because uh, the other the thing was what uh, the fact that America then actually came in against Germany itself yeah. was just happened. I mean, that, that, that was not. That did not necessarily have to happen. Mm. America could have focused on its Pacific War and let the European War fight itself out. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose you know Australia. Um, you know, going back to Gallipoli, um, <clears throat> did Australians ever capture other Japanese soldiers? Did we ever have uh, oh, prisoner yes, war yes, camps? Yes, I mean. Uh, I'm getting back to um, New Guinea. Yeah. The first major turn back and capture of Japanese happened with Australian troops in New Guinea. Mm. One of the first major events. Now, where the where the Japanese advance was stopped dead cold in its tracks. Mm. Uh, again, the shape of the country helped them because. New Guinea is a very much up and down country, so it was a very dirty war physically. But the but the, the Australian troops actually did turn the Russian, the Japanese back mm. in I can't remember the exact place. I should remember it. At, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the Pacific Bay. But anyway, the, the Australian troops actually were able to eventually get the upper hand against Japanese there again, partly. We think of because the Australians were closer to home, the Japanese were further from home, and therefore they were kind of the Australians were fighting more strongly. Mm. Partly because by that stage, uh, they knew what they were doing better. Yeah, I mean, um, the Australians went up to New Guinea yeah. as well. That that's like all jungle, very hot and muggy. Yeah, as I said, it really was a very very unpleasant war. Uh, the Kokoda, the whole Kokoda story, and uh, basically, the it was a, what was called a fighting retreat. Australians pulled back from the north to the south over the over the ranges, mm. Mm. and the Japanese were following them. And it was the time they were within feet of each other almost. See, and uh, but when they kind of eventually got to a point where they were able to stop them. Back in that time, they had uh, conscripts. Now, were you ever conscripted to join the military? No, no. I mean, I was in the uh, the second bank of conscription available, we called up. Yep. Uh, with this, uh, this was actually in the sixties. Mm. They had we had the Vietnam nineteen sixty. Yeah. Sixty four. We sent in advisory troops. 
65 or 66, I can't remember the exact year now, we started sending in troops to Vietnam and I started conscripting to build the army up to send people into it. But it was done on a lottery on, on your birthday. Mm. Mm. What they did was they pulled pulled birthdays out of the barrel. If your barrel number came out of the barrel, you're in the army now. What about the Air Force and the Navy? What was the difference? Oh, well, oh, oh, well the same thing. You're in the services. So they just automatically put you there. You had no choice. You, 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 conscripted means you're in the army now. Report tomorrow. But what happens if you were conscripted and then uh, you were going to go to special forces? Did they uh, handpick you for that? Or how did, how did oh, all look, that look, work? Look, once you, I mean, first of all, the role of, to conscripts yeah. were banged into the regular army. Yeah. That's put in the one IRAR and trained up to the extent that they were necessarily trained up to be able to fight in Vietnam, to fight the war they were going to fight. Yeah. If you wanted to become a specialist in something like that, basically you had to become a regular army member. Yeah, because... Uh, you, 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 you basically had to voluntarily sign up for the long term. Yeah, because you had they their... Were, they, weren't, they weren't picking any special... Uh, weren't really picking on the elite units, those special units. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you were constricted, you could end up in any branch of the army. You could end up in the artillery or the intelligence or the whatever or the whatever. Yeah. And several of my classmates did end up in the army. Mm. And uh, the one that ended up in it, it thought, thought that intelligence would be a soft... It thought that intelligence would be a softish option and found out that it meant to be what they call the tunnel rats, mm. whose job was to go down into these tunnel systems that the Viet, the, uh, the, the Viet Cong were using to hide themselves underground and, and digging... Getting them out from underground, so it was underground fighting, which was not very good. Who went in under the tunnels? Special forces or regular? No, 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 regular. As I said, this, this, this was a kid was a contract. Yeah. But see, to be a special forces operator, because in Vietnam we had our SAS and commandos, we did. Yeah. Well, that, these units, you have to apply to get in there. Yep. And pass the test. Hmm. Before you could apply to put them to get in there or to pass the test, you would have to sign up to serve as a regular soldier in the long term. True, true. Because they're not going to train you up to be a commando for two years. Yeah. Because conscripts had a two-year service, term of service. Yeah. And, and if you had to become an SAS or a commando, you mm. had to be prepared to hang around for years. Yeah, because... So you had to be signed up for the... For the had to be signed up as a regular, officer, a regular soldier. Because the training for that is quite uh, brutal, and men men yeah, have been I, I killed. Don't believe don't believe what you see on the TV. That's true, but uh, the men have been injured, and um. Oh, don't you, people get killed in ordinary regular army training? Yeah. Oh yeah. But see, for a special unit, um, uh, they wanted the 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 most elite of the elite because uh, to be able to go food deprived and uh, sleep deprived on the oh, job. Yeah, I mean, Certainly, uh, that happens. That happens to regular troops as well. Yep. But, but what? No, but oh yeah. I mean, don't forget, if you're in a uh, in an active battle situation, mm. it might go on for two days non-stop. What's the difference for the audience, Patrick, between a regular frontline soldier and a and a SAS or a commando? Uh, well, commandos are actually a very technically they used to be Marines. And they were, mm. These are designed to generally operate as smaller units. Yeah. Um, doing highly specialised and highly dangerous tasks. Mm, mm. 
So basically, um, if you wanted somebody to infiltrate, um, to infiltrate a, a particular place, mm. you would send in, you would use the, you would, you would, you would use the SAS, Special Air, Special Air Services, or the commandos. Yeah. If you want, if you want to drop you know, a group of twenty people behind enemy lines mm. to attack a very a particular small target, mm. what you want is is a small, very well trained so they can work together. Mm. A more, a much of the training is actually about being able to work together as a team, as a unit. Yeah, yeah. Very, very strongly cohesive, but also with particular skills and things like handling explosives, mm. handling slightly unusual weaponry. Yes. Maybe special physical skills like climbing or boating or mm. so commandos. Are te- commandos were technically boat launched. Yeah, they they were in uh, I think World War One. Uh, the Royal Marine Commandos, yeah, but they're, they're basically members of the, the Marine Corps. Yeah. Originally, but again, that but thing is, but, but that's because they're landed by boat. Mm. But you did, but so basically, to be part of those special services, mm. the main requirement would be that first we have to have the physicality to be able to do it. Yeah. Which I also need enough intelligence to be able to learn quite a range of quite technical skills. Mm. I mean, you, you mean you're probably need to be able to handle communications here in case your communication specialist dropped out, things like this. Mm. But certainly physical skills like things like climbing, uh, regular troops uh, get instruction in things like accessing buildings and things generally nowadays, mm. urban warfare. But the SAS troops would have also received training things like attacking fortified buildings, mm. you know, getting in through, you know, Six inch steel plate doors and things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not quite, no, I'm not, 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 i am not i am uh, groups who were of the similar vein but different. I mean, the use of Morse code was uh, very uh, big with uh, 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 special units. Oh, well, Morse code, the point with why you use Morse yeah. is that it's easy. Uh, and that's technically, mechanically, it's easy. Mm-hmm. A Morse transmitter mm. is, is, is a small thing. It's basically a. And it's a you don't need as much gear to, make, to, to transmit Morse. Another thing about Morse is it's digital, uh, which means that it's much easier to encrypt. Yeah. Uh, you see, it was even during World War Two, mm. and actually even after World War Two, because uh, one of Solzhenitsyn's novels deals with it, is it's actually quite difficult to encrypt the spoken mm. voice. Mm. So once you've turned something into digital to encrypt it mm. uh, by which I mean you've broken it, broken it broken this characters down to pieces you might as well transmit it digitally as bits and pieces and Morse code is essentially a precursor of the codes we use nowadays for instance ASCII to communicate with yeah I mean Morse code is simply a way of transmitting information digitally it seems Morse code uh, recorded 
Because wouldn't you think, okay, if SAS or, or Commando were using it, oh, oh the enemy's going to pick up on that and sort of know where... Oh, that's why, that's why, they, that's why they encrypted. Gotcha. They, they, they think it's much easier to encrypt digital stuff. Yeah. And, uh, interestingly, the uh, in terms of encryption machine, uh, capacity, mm-hmm. uh, and their so-called Enigma machine... It's an absolutely superb piece of encryption apparatus, mm. which unfortunately they didn't realise she had actually access to a couple of them. Mm. And because of a couple of very subtle uh, flaws in the, the mathematical design of it, mm. were able to essentially break. So they were able to read most of the German communications through, a significant report of the German communications through the war. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why Battle of the Atlantic, eventually the U-boat stopped sinking all of the British ships. Was the British were able to work out where the U-boats were going to be because they were intercepting their messages saying, go there. Mm. And they were able to kind of accidentally be in the same area and bomb the hell out of them. Yeah. Morse uh, code has the advantage that it's much easier to encrypt, much, much simpler information, much simpler, much much simpler equipment, hmm. and is therefore so it's much. And because of that, you can get better range, greater clarity. Because it's digital, hmm. you can get greater clarity. Because with voice. Mm. If voice starts being distorted, and you can't get the message at all, the person listening, it's basically yes or no. It is essentially a digital system. It's communication. It's digital communication. Yeah. And it's been around since Morse invented it. <laughs> it is quite effective. I don't know if it's still used today. Oh, yes, yes, it's still around. Mm. Um, there's still people who do it. still use it. It's still basically around. Uh, but uh, I mean, don't forget that right now we're using it as a direct descendant. Mm. So I mean, right now, but when you think what's happening, I'm speaking to you. Mm. My voice is being broken down into a digital system mm. because this is all digital. Which is then converted into a series of dots and zeros and ones, dots mm. and dashes, and transmitted as, as a digital signal to you, mm. which then reassembles the voice. It's just that nowadays, with the technology, we can, can we can much more easily have the gear to break a voice signal down into digital components, encrypted. Because don't forget, what I'm sending out to you is encrypted. And then decrypted, and then reassembled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to touch back on uh, uh, special operations. Like, you yep. get so many frontline soldiers will go and uh, try it out, but not all of them can make it. Well, as I said, it requires. Yeah. Their the, the first requirement is this physicality. Yeah. That is, that is, but it also requires. Decathedus, the carry, the uh, the capacity to just carry on and carry on. Mm. The toughness. 
Mm. And uh, that's, that's where that TV series has it right. Mm. They really do. I mean, a few years ago, they, they actually had the British one actually showing the real thing live, the real mm. thing from Britain. Mm. And it was similarly tough. You see, they're, they're known to actually um, uh, put you through uh, interrogation training as well. Oh, no, 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 no. Things, like, things like interrogation training yeah. happen after, after you've been accepted. Yeah. And interrogation training was fairly standard for a lot of troops in World War Two. Even frontline soldiers? No, not, not so much a frontline soldier, but certainly a lot of Air Force personnel received interrogation training. Yeah. Anybody, anybody who had any kind of access to anything sensitive mm. was given some degree of interrogation training. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, see, the point is, is that if you have access to, to uh, sensitive information, then it is desirable... Mm. But things like, so interrogation training, the thing is, you, one of the problems with interrogation training is that even though it's particularly nasty, mate, but it's at the back of your mind, you know that it's not the real thing. Mm. Yeah, but see, the problem is there are a lot of troops that just can't handle it and um, it's pressure well, mentally. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they—that's yeah. the ones they can't—they can't accept them if they will will sign yeah, well, the form. That's, 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 I mean, this is part of the training. Yeah. Part of the requirements. So, I mean, to be a a specialist. Look, think about it. What happens if you want to become a specialist uh, orthopedic surgeon? Yeah. Mm. You spend seven years studying medicine. Mm. You spend another six years studying orthopedics, mm. and then you pass, and then you are subjected to about twelve hours of absolutely ridiculously hard, almost impossible to pass examinations. Yep. You fail stiff luck. Mm. What can you do? Become a GP. <laughs> <That's what laughs> I mean. no, the point, no, the point is, to become a specialist in anything is hard. Oh, yeah. I mean... Think, think about becoming a specialist musician. Yeah. But think about, think about the, the, the serious, good-quality musicians, how much practice they actually do. I've been through it. Yeah, that's why I mentioned that one. Yeah. You know, a seriously seri- seri- good quality musician, you know, but that's why I'm a, that's why I consider myself a bit of a joker as a, as a singer because I don't mm. put in the two hours a day that I should. Mm. If I was serious about singing, I'd do two hours a day of training. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. Same thing. Exactly. You think about it. It's that, that same determination. Mm. Stick out in this, cuss in this, excuse me, an Australian word. Mm. And you, re- you have to actually genuinely want to do it. Yeah. And for the right reason. That's the, other, the other thing is, is that more and more they're learning to get that the psychology of, of making sure you do it, want to do it for the right reason. Mm. I mean, playing music uh, at a tertiary level is not easy. It's very hard. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, exactly. Very I, exhausting. I mean, as, I mean, as a serious performer... Yeah, I mean there are lots of there are lots of people who who consider themselves musicians out there who are very successful in the musical world mm. who I would not pass the time of day with as as real musicians. Mm. They have developed a style and gimmick that works and is easy to learn to. But when you actually listen to them, have they're actually they're actually their technicality is quite weak. Mm. And other ones, when you, when you look and say, oh, they really are very very good musicians. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, same thing. Yeah. Practice. Um, yes, practice, practice. 
You gotta want want to get up. The ones who rely on the microphone to do the work, and the ones mm. who rely on their own lungs. Well, now we have something what's called an auto tuner. Yeah, lots of those things are around. Yeah. That, that's cheating because I truly believe if you're relying on an auto tune, you're not a real musician. No, 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 no. This is different again. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it, yeah. Very few people actually have a um, what's called perfect pitch. Mm. Mm. Very, very few people indeed can pitch it and say, "Ah, oh, that's middle C." Uh, mm. Very, very few people can do that. Mm. So if you want to tune an instrument, as seems to be a voice, mm. you need to be given the pitch. That's it. To start from, you need some kind of tuner mm. to tune from. Yeah. So you might have you might have a tuning fork. Bing. Now, once you've got the first part of your instrument tuned, mm. be it one string on the guitar, since you're about all tuners, which may, may apply with the guitars, mm. or one string on your violin. Then you can tune the rest from that, yes. Mm. Well, when I was so once, you've got, once you've got one right, then you, you've got the other bottom string right. Then you just go up. To, you have the right number of frets. Go donk donk, and the next one you tune to that. So you actually tune them from each other, one from the next. Yeah, well, but what... the same, and all, all, all the auto tune takes out. Yeah, is the necessity of actually of of actually doing it two handed. Mm. But the point, but the point is, is that if you want to tune a guitar manually. You go to the fret with your left hand, you pluck that string on <laughs> two strings, and you say, I'm a bit low, you tighten it a bit, mm. you, tight, you can think, I'm still a bit low, or I'm a bit high, you snap it up. Whereas with the auto-tuner, mm. you can actually have your hand on the tuning nut and tune the string directly. Now, to, to me, it is simply a, a legitimate shortcut. Yeah, but I mean... Music, you know, because the tuning of the instrument isn't, isn't the playing of the instrument. Look, when I was studying at a bachelor's degree, we, we tuned a couple of ways. If we were in orchestra, we tuned from the first violinist. Yeah. Or the oboe, if you have yeah. an oboe. Oh, oboe. Yeah, yeah, oboe, first violinist, or I used a, a chromatic tuner. I used to practice. Or the piano. But see, I feel now too many singers are relying on the auto-tune, and to me, that's that's cheating. You know, you should... But a singer... Once they're not out-tuned for the singer... Yeah. That's just my opinion. I'm not trying to... What do you mean by not out-tuned for a singer? But you mean to say they have the melody playing in their ear? No, because of technology, they got these, like, uh, special microphones that can change their voice, change the pitch as well. Oh, no, they... they, they, they I mean, uh, uh, you can... Oh, no, you can, you, can do, you, can do, you can do all sorts of things with the voice after it's gone into the microphone. Yeah. So you can correct... You can correct a performance, yes. Yeah. However, that's no longer performing live. Mm. But I truly... Oh, but I, I, I mean, to that extent, I mean, that, that, to me, that's... Uh, yeah, I, so, uh, but whether... I'm not sure whether they actually operate... I'm not sure whether technology adapts them to work, do that in real time. There is... Um, there is software now you can download. And, and you can um, actually correct your pitch real time. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a little bit... Um, it's, uh, it's a technology that it's it's an interesting one that mm. uh, control of pitch is a mechanical skill. Yeah. Um, and mechanical skills do enable artistry to be presented. Mm. 
However, um, it is a mechanical skill, but it's part of the craft, as from the art of the music. Mm. Uh, so if you if you are still expressing yourself, and the trouble is, a lot of these people who are using these things are not actually expressing any any real emotion through their singing. There's no emotion. If you are expressing yourself and expressing something more than just the notes through the music, mm. then you are probably still creating art. Well, do you look? You look at Britney Spears. Honestly, she wasn't the most talented singer. A lot of that's done with auto tune, like you know. Well, as I said, but she had looks going for her. Yeah, that's what that is one of the problems you see. It's because uh, that whole thing is yeah, you had the visual aspect. Yeah. And quite frankly, I've never admired the, her musical product anyway. No, it's shit. No, 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 no I've never admired it. It's, mm. not, it's, not, it's not something that appeals to me. Mm, mm. you got Lady Gaga as well. Um... No, 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 the other hand, Lady Gaga can sing. Mm. Lady Gaga can and does sing. Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time to realise that. But you actually, Lady Gaga is one of those ones, if you actually listen to her and watch her, Mm. She is a. She is singing that stuff, and b. There is a hell of a lot of musical craft and art in there. A hell of a lot more than you kind of first realise. But what about Michael Jackson? He he was quite a talented singer. Yes, he was quite a talented singer. Again, he sat in a particular style. Mm. This is one of the things. A lot of singers develop a particular style that becomes their style. And becomes highly entertaining and highly valuable and highly, again, extraordinary. When you think about what he did, some of the stuff he did was really extraordinary. Yeah, and he again, did. Yeah, so again, yeah, yes, he was... He, I mean, there's, he, there's lots of, so much talent around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the trouble is, is that the only trouble is, is that... doesn't matter how much talent you have... Mm. In the artistic world, you also need um, marketing. Marketing, and to be, and, to, and for the marketing to to, to catch, mm. you need yourself to have a certain amount of. The only word for it is arrogance. Mm. Mm. Uh, particularly in things like the performing art, like music, etc. Mm. You have to have a, you you have to have the belief in yourself that I am good enough to get out there and do it. Mm. And you need somebody else, and then you need a certain amount of luck. Mm. You need to hit the right thing at the right time. Yeah, well, that's. Uh, I think that's how the Beatles became successful. You you were around when the Beatles were. Ah, oh, yes, I'm old enough to remember the Beatles being. Yeah. And Jimi yeah. Hendrix. I can, and... remember, I can remember those young men with that ridiculously long hair. Uh, and Jimi Hendrix and Elvis Presley and the Rolling well, Stones. Elvis Presley was already well established by the time I was listening to him, yes. And Elvis Presley is another one for whom I have a lot more time than yet. When you, again, Elvis Presley's baritone go was a bloody good one. Mm. But see, his manager ripped him off. Oh, I mean, that's it. I mean, there are all sorts of other things that happen to people. And it's believed that his manager murdered someone in another country. Oh, again, <laughs> it's believed that somebody says, and you know what? I don't listen to those. I don't worry about those stories. They're, all, <laughs> they're good stories. Stories then, that uh, sell. Yeah. Now, the, the, the important thing about Elvis is that he produced some bloody remarkably good music. Mm. 
Never so, left America. Some, some reasonable films yeah. and some bloody appallingly bad films mm. and some pretty terrible music in some of those films too. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, some of, the, some, some of his better stuff was absolutely extraordinary. You never left the United States. That's right. Well, lots of people never left. I'm sorry, he spent several years in Germany. Did he? Off a tour, I, w- I mean, like uh, when he when he became successful as a musician. Uh, after he was successful as a musician, don't forget, Dobbs was conscripted. Yeah, he was. He was in the army. And, and, and he was in Germany. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. But it's Cold got. Cold War. Out of the Cold War. Yeah. See, he died. He 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 died of a heart attack. Uh, he used to um, eat a very unhealthy diet, like of cheeseburgers. Into a very unhealthy man in his older age, yes. Mm. Not that he was very old. Yeah. What can you do? Uh, such talent. Part of, the, part, of the, part of the problem is that extraordinary talent mm. gave rise to extraordinary success, which gave rise to an extraordinary number of people said, Mate, you're the greatest. Mm. And you're the king. Yeah. All right, Pat. And you believe believe your own stories. Mm. Patrick, it was a fantastic interview with you today on the Stephen Shields radio show. I'm going to have you back on again. Um, It was really, really interesting stuff. A lot of history you've shared. Where can do you have social media, or where can people get in contact with you? Not really. No, I'm a bit kind of quiet that way. (laughs) Uh, I have a Facebook page I look at once a year. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're the old-fashioned... Yep, the old-fashioned type, yeah. Newspaper. Yeah. All right, thanks for listening to today's podcast with Patrick. It was... Re- I, I, I love today's show. Uh, you can listen to my newest single on Spotify called Apocalypse. Uh, that's on Spotify, so go follow me on Spotify, subscribe, uh, check out my latest uh, music video, Judas, on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, hit the like, turn on the notifications, also subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get your podcast, I'm on Apple, Spotify, or, or I think Stitcher, iHeartRadio, subscribe to that to that stay up to date on my facebook page and instagram as well go and follow me on on that links in the description see you in the next uh hike the trail check order takeout check schedule heart checkup done we've all adapted to a new way of living keep your health care on schedule with johns hopkins medicine where your health and safety are our highest priorities We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. 
Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe.